HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's episode, we have Mark Rossetti, culinary director of Shake Shack, who discusses the merits of being an international burger chain with hyper-local focus. The Enders come by to play live and give us the secret to how to slip into semi-established bands. Hint, play the bass. So sit back, relax, and tune in to a new episode of Snacky Tunes. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes.
Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. That was just The Unders, another one of our King Pizza favorites. We'll be live in studio later today. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Please make sure to go to wherever you listen to your podcast. Hit subscribe. Leave us a nice comment. Give us five stars. We're coming for you, Terry Gross. Sitting across from me, Marco Zetti. Hey, Greg. Culinary director, Shake Shack, Burger Empire extraordinaire. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well here. I'm, I feel great today. I feel like we finally got the first day of spring. I know. And I it's know. not going to go back. I mean, we had nice days, but I feel like moving forward, yeah. we're into there. We've all been fooled many a times with a nice day, and then the next thing you know, it's freezing cold. I think this is it. This is breaking that trend. So how long is the line at the Madison Square Park? Already. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I live in Brooklyn, but I had to go into the city today, Manhattan, for some work. I walked by that shack and it was pretty long. But that's what you do. You're gonna want, you want to be outside. You want to celebrate. You want to sit down in a beautiful park and eat. I go, down to, I go down to that dog park, and no matter what time I go, I, obviously not the morning, but in the afternoon, yeah. no matter it's like an easy 100 people, just casual. Like a casual 100 are just in line. And it's crazy to me because like that is the flagship. That was the first one. But we have so many Shake Shacks in New York City now. And even in the rain... I see people lining up. I know. And, and, <laughs> and not only that, I, I work in Herald Square, and I've, I've walked up, and I will cross a few of the Shake Shacks yep. that are indoors, inside. And I still see people, even in the winter, people, I wonder if just tourists, they have to, they have to go to the original. They're like, I need to go to that first one. That's where it all started. I want to touch. I want to touch it. Yes. <laughs> I want to touch it. I want a custard. Get I want a photo. Get a fo- well, I mean, I would say that op- optically, maybe outside the Chicago properties, we're talking about. Yes. It is the most iconic and Oh, for set. sure. Uh, so you came to New York in 1995? Yes, yes. I came here, and uh, I was from Connecticut originally, and I grew up on a little town called Stonington, right near like uh, the waterways and like right on the Rhode Island border. We had a lot of seafood. We didn't have burger shacks, but we had seafood shacks. Any any particular bend on it? Was it you know, was it clams? Was it crabs? Was it oysters? Clams. Clams were the big thing. The two big things were uh, raw belly clams and also the fried cod sandwich. Love a fried cod sandwich. I also so love um, what was white was clam pizza big then, or is that like a recent no recent, that, quote unquote recent? Clam? Yes, that has been big for a long time. Going up to New Haven in that area there, West Haven. There's some legendary clam pipe guys doing pizzas. Some of them dating back to like 1925. That's one of those trends where like I know that it existed, but I feel like it really didn't have like its you know hot chicken moment until the same way like a two three years ago for sure. And, and now you find it everywhere, but it used to be like a really kept secret. Yeah, and like I still have to say like there's a lot of guys in New York City doing great riffs on it, but you have to go to the original you have to go to frank pepe's i mean i and just try it there I, like i think it's a it's definitely one pilgrimage every summer where someone's like let's just get a car yeah let's just go doesn't matter and it's always worth it it's it's never there's never a bad time to have it it's never a disappointment and uh i my, my pro move is i like to actually get bacon on the clam pie too because i feel those worlds go so well together pro tip but I would get maybe half bacon, half without, so try them both, but double pro love tip. it. <laughs> so you were here for uh, film and TV production. Yes, yes. I came here because I, I wanted to be I wanted to be a director. I wanted to get into the movies and all that stuff. And I've always had this creative uh, side to me. And like much people that come to uh, New York City uh, trying to get into uh, the film and television business, you wind up working in the restaurant business to pay the bills while you're waiting for your big break. What was your What was the first job that you had where you still thought that you were going to stay in film? Like, I'm just going to bust some tables, or wh- what were you doing, and where was it at? So I would have to say, like, uh, I was very fortunate. I never really worked in the restaurant business, but I love the food of New York City. And when it started off, I, I went to Corner Bistro. That was one of my first favorite burgers in New York City. It's still there. It's still, like, a, I think a must in the New York burger scene. I went to Joe's Pizza. 
kind of a close walk. I used to go to both of those in one afternoon. Get a slice, eat it on the way over to uh, Corner Bistro. Um, what if you got to wait for the burger and you're hungry? I know, exactly, right? It's, it's, <laughs> again, maybe go to Magnolia and get a cupcake back in the day. But the funny thing was, like, I just fell in love with the food scene here. And I've always liked food, but it just became feverish when I got here. And then I started to kind of up my game. I started to go to maybe middle-of-the-road restaurants where, okay, now I'm sitting down, I got table service, I'm getting some fun food. And then I went to Gramercy Tavern, and it was all over. I had never experienced anything like that at that level, but it wasn't just the food that blew me away. It was a service. And what was it? What do you remember about the service? They were so friendly and so accommodating and so understanding, too, that I was totally green and did not know, like, what wine I should be drinking with my fish dish. You're or like, like, I'll have the red. Yes, the, the heaviest, the, I'll have the oakiest red, red. Yes. To go with this You're light like, dish. <laughs> I will have a sophisticated wine to go with yes. my dish. Thank you very and much. And chill that, please, before you bring it to the table, please. Yes, I would like that red ice cold. Yes, if you have to put ice cubes in there, that's what you should need to do. And it's just, it was just a matter of educating myself, but I never felt like at Gramercy where anyone, like, looked at me anything different than just saying, hey, if this guy doesn't know everything, wouldn't it be great if I showed him the way and got to help like, like uh, teach him a little bit? Would they, they would educate you? Totally. I you, please. I, <laughs> so one time I went there, and this was during a snowstorm, and I went down, and like there's two rooms if you've never been to Gramercy Tavern. There's the front tavern room, which is very kind of show up, grab a table, get some like bites. It's, it's very easy. Then if you want a fancier uh, meal, you go and make a reservation for the back room, which is fine dining. It's, it's a prefix menu. So I, I saved up my money. I went there by myself, and uh, I was like the only guy in the restaurant because of the snow. I'm like, I want the lamb dish, and what wine would you recommend that? He goes, oh, man, I'm all over the place here. We got this great Tempranillo. He goes, we also have this Red Zin. He goes, you know what? Why am I telling you? I'm going to bring you everything I think is awesome. You taste each one. You tell me which one you want to drink with your lamb. Wow. I'm like, I am going to come here for every special right. occasion for the rest of my life. I mean, and the, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that was some of the first times you tried some of those wines. It was. And like, again, like all of a sudden, that was my restaurant. I remember at the, as I was leaving, seeing something about cheese and wine pairing on a Saturday afternoon. And I was like, well, that sounds fun. It was their sommelier, their head pastry chef, who was a legend at the time, Claudia Fleming, and one of their sous chefs picking cheese. And they were going to do like desserts, cheeses, and wines. I'm like, this is an education class. Do you remember which wine you picked to go with the lamb? <laughs> I do not. Okay. I think it was a Tempranillo because I, I remember hearing that word going, Tempranillo? Tempranillo? Let's say it together on three. One, two. Tempranillo. Okay. I will have that one. And that's also where you met Tom Clickio as well. Yes. And that's how it all started because I was such a fan of the restaurant that I was gushing to him. I'm like, you know, I had your steak. Did you guys like season that and then cook it then rest it and slice or did you... Did you cook it, then season, slice and season again? He goes, you seem very uh, excited about what we do here. If you ever want to watch us cook dinner one night in the main dining room and like see how this happens, maybe I'll answer your questions. So I never really worked in the restaurant business before this. And that was my intro. And there was something about the sights, the smells, the sounds of that kitchen. I'll never forget seeing the meat roaster pull a sirloin out of the oven, throw a ton of bar in the pan, start to sizzle and foam. He starts basting it with garlic and thyme, and that's smelling the guy. The guy had cuts on his fingers. He had burns on his arms. I'm like, damn, that looks cool, man. I want to roll around like that. I want in on this. So how long was your education there before you made the jump over to Shake Shack? It was about, it was about two years off and on before I actually wanted to do it. I said to, I said to the chef, uh, uh, John Schaefer, who's the chef de cuisine, I said to Tom, I want in. I want in. Like, ah, oh, you're a buddy. You know, we don't make it too hard for you. You just come in. You're fun to hang out with. And I'm like, I can do it. I'm going to do it. I worked for free for two months, Monday through Friday with the AM crew and did everything. Like, whatever they needed, I was their go-to guy. You need me to push your bone marrow? 
which I never thought I'd ever touch in my life. Like, this is cool stuff I'm doing. Yes, I'll clean your hedgehog mushrooms because I want to learn how to clean these. And then after two months, like, you got the job. And I worked every single station in that restaurant over three years. I did a year and a half with the first chef, Tom Colicchio. And then the, the current chef, Mike Anthony, came aboard. And I helped transition him for a year and a half. And I'm like, oh, I love this business. And I was all about it. At that point, though, I wanted to grow. Because it wasn't just like the kitchen that got me excited. It was all the restaurants. I came from the outside. I loved everything about the experience. The only restaurant in the group at the time, and all of our restaurants were fine dining, uh, was Shake Shack. Mm. And I'm like, well, it's a management position, but... I think I had a coach that told me like in middle school, if I didn't buckle down and study, I would wind up flipping hamburgers. I'm like, oh my God, the g- coach Nelson is right. I'm flipping hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't until I did a trail at Shake Shack. And now this is a back in say 2000 and, uh, 2007 that all of a sudden, like I realized it's the same ingredients we're using at Gramercy. It was the same level of hospitality that I experienced, that same waiter's mentality of making me happy, making me feel comfortable. All the team members are doing that. And just 2007, how many are open? Is it just the one? It was just the one. Just the one. And when did the expansion start? It started in 2008, going into 2009. Uh, We never really thought we would open a second location. It was a hope. And when I took the job, it wasn't like, hey, man, come on board. We're going to go global one day. It was just like, hey, we want to make this the best experience possible. And we opened the second location on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I think it was 2008, 2009. And we didn't think it was going to actually be successful because the first location is in a park in New York City. You can sit there, drink wine, eat a burger under the stars in the summer. Pretty magical. We're like, no one is going to eat these burgers indoors. It's all about the park. When we opened Upper West Side, that one actually became even busier than the original. And that's when we said, well, may we have something here. Was there any indication or did you, did you ever distill down why that one was so popular or what set it off? You know what it was? I think... When we were opening that location, it wasn't like we're opening another Shake Shack. We looked at it as we're opening another Danny Meyer restaurant, who's the founder of Shake Shack and a lot of restaurants here in New York City. And his restaurants all have their own soul, their own culture, their own feel. So we're not exactly trying to replicate Shake Shack because now we're taking indoors. And we had a moment to say, okay, what makes the Upper West Side awesome? Well, we have this Museum of Natural History across the street, and it's kind of a different vibe. What if we change some of our menu items theme them on the Upper West Side, and then what if we take one of these dessert items and then take a percentage of the sale and give it back to the museum? We'll theme it after the museum. We created a special concrete, uh, which is a frozen custard blend with different toppings that we make in-house. It's kind of like a uh, an ice cream that's all blended together, and then you eat it with a spoon still frozen. Uh, we named it the Crunchstellation after the <laughs> Constellation Room in the Museum of Natural History, and we donate 5% of the sales of that back to the museum. And we just said, let's make this a neighborhood restaurant, not uh, another like Shake Shack per se, but let's give this one its own feel, its own soul. Let's let the team feel empowered to run this a little differently and really make this a neighborhood restaurant. And as I mean, has that then since been a guiding principle that every time you open a Shake Shack in a different city or a different, perfect, uh, a different city or a different country, are you looking for the thing to make it of the locale of the neighborhood? For sure. And like, it's something that, I think back then we did not set out to do that. To us, that just felt like the natural evolution was like all of Danny Meyer's restaurants are slightly different. Why not make this slightly different? Yeah, we'll have the same burgers and fries, but how can we make this more unique? And ever since then, location number three was down in Miami. That was a massive jump for our company. But we had an amazing deal. It was a new uh, real estate project. They want to give us a great location, this great iconic building. 
And we're like, okay, so we're going down to Miami now. We don't know how we're going to do this. We have to localize a lot of stuff because we don't want to ship meat down from like New York City. It's just not going to work well. We need to find a local butcher. We need to find what's going to make this location really amazing. So instead of using New York ingredients, what if we take vanilla custard and blend it with a piece of key lime pie from a great baker? Mm. That feels like Miami to me. Mm-hmm. So like that's what we started to say to ourselves. And I, I think we, we didn't really set out to do that. We were just doing what felt naturally, and it wasn't intentional. And then we started to get recognized for that, and that's when it started to become an intentional idea of saying, okay, now we're opening a location in the theater district in New York City. What is going to make this different? We need to make this one different. You're now the culinary director of Shake Shack. What does that entail? I, to me, it's like, how many different burgers can I eat and what type of spice <laughs> blends? And like, I need a fish burger, I need a chicken burger. It's yeah. just like, bring me all the animals and can we make burgers out of it? <laughs> what is the reality of the situation? The reality of the situation is we are very passionate to make sure as we keep growing that we work as local as possible. So when we opened that second location, that really set off like how the mold was going to be created for us to keep growing from. So as we keep growing... We're in all these new cities. We're in all these new countries. And it's myself and the whole culinary team that walk the streets and say, what makes this city special? Okay, now we're in Japan. Like, is is green tea a thing here? Do we want to make a milkshake with that? Or is there something else that maybe is not so popular that is really something that resonates with the people? That's when we found black sesame seeds. So that's our muse. What can we do with black sesame seeds on our menu to make something that's very much inspired? And and what city is that? That's in uh, Tokyo. And then we also said, well... When we first start out, we want our menu to be very simplistic. We say we just do a couple things. We try to do them very well, and that's it. The menu doesn't change. You know when you're feeling a burger, we're going to do it right. And then we're like, well, wait a minute. That's not fun. We're barring out of a fine dining group. All of those restaurants are changing their menu every day. If a special ingredient's just coming to season, you better believe it's going to be on the menu that night. So as we started to grow, we started introducing special burgers, saying, hey, for this next three months, we have this. And then maybe when we go to a new city, like, say, Los Angeles, we say, well, hey, this is one of the biggest burger cities in the world that's inspired everyone going back to the 1950s. We, get, we, we want to create a burger just for you guys because we, we are honored to be here. So it's walking the streets. It's figuring out, like, what ingredients to use. And at the end of the day, our job is to make sure the core menu, the Shack Burger that everyone known and loves since 2004, is as delicious as it was first cooked back in the day in, in Madison Park, but also making sure the menu is constantly evolving and changing, giving our fans a reason to come back and get even more excited for us. What is the Heartbreak Burger? Which is the one that you were sure that was going to work and what was the city <laughs> and just did not did not catch fire? You know, I have to say, so uh, I, I can't tell you what the city is because okay. we're still we're still like we're going to open in the city. Okay. And all I'm going to say is it's something that I've played around with over the years. I call it the Hamburger. It's H-A-M, all caps, Burger. And what I like to do is take a country ham or heritage ham, griddle it up, put it on a cheeseburger with our shack sauce, and the pickle component needs the acidity. has changed. Uh, it's gone from, like, saying pickle green tomatoes mm-hmm. uh, to classic pickle chips to more recently I wanted to go uh, bread and butter because the ham is so salty you need something to balance it. And to me, I see, like, a very close kinship between, like, the ham and bacon. I'm sure it's not smoked, but also a ham and cheese sandwich putting on a cheeseburger. I feel there's so much harmony. But for some reason, this thing has not clicked with the rest of the team the way I hoped it. And I presented this like six different ways, and I keep trying to pull a fast one. I'm like, this is the uh, the uh, Cubano. Yeah, ham and cheese and stuff. And like, you're like, oh. It doesn't get past the goalie. I don't know. I'm you're trying. Like, oh, what's this? Oh, what's the, what's on yeah. this table? Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, oh my gosh. I try they're to like, like hide the ham in there. So they they're don't like, see Mark, yeah. one day, 
Perseverance. Well, so I had the team taste this about uh, two weeks ago, and our CEO, Randy, I love this guy. He's like, okay, so it's not dead. It's still in purgatory. And I almost want to be like, it's dead, just so like, because I'm now going to think of the yet another iteration, but he's, he's starting to see it. And like the team, some of them love the idea, some don't. And there's just something about this combination. I know it can work. So that's the next story to be told, because right now it's not dead. It's in purgatory. So I will have another chance of trying to pull a fast one, but that's the one. We're going to take a quick musical break. We're going to play something for our archives, and then we're back with Mark from Shake Shack here on Snacky Tunes. Last year, uh, Darren interviewed Nick and the Coachella team about the food offerings there, which has just grown into its own mini food festival. You were just out there for the first time. How did it go? <laughs> what adjustments did you have to make? What lessons did you learn? What were the surprises? You know what? I was actually so bummed because I couldn't go on that trip personally, but I worked with the team to get all the logistics figured out. And that's an amazing opportunity. Talk about like one of the, the premier music events of like the country. And to be uh, 
offered to do that. We were so honored. So we wanted to make sure that we had fun. And the vision was, let's bring Madison Park to the desert. So we took some shipping containers, put them together, and built what looks very much like uh, the Shake Shack from Madison Park. And we wanted to bring the core menu. So we have our shack burgers. We have our shroom burgers. We're even doing the famous burger. You take the shroom and put it on top of the shack burger, the shack stack. If you're, if you're in the desert and you're going to eat that much food, you better drink a lot of water. That's all right. I'm going to say. It was a tremendous success. Like We have a, an amazing team out in L.A. Um, that's been out there for the past like almost three years. And they've just helped open up that city for us, which we're so honored to be there. And then to do this event with that team, we could not be more proud of how it went. And I guess the uh, the event was a really big success, and uh, the team was like just pumped. They also got to hang with Beyonce. I was about I to was say, like, what? I was about to say, <laughs> this is a, you know, it's like, well, I, I'll take the shift. I, I, yeah, I, I'll, I think I'll make the sacrifice and I'll go. Yeah, <laughs> you won't be able to find me between eleven and two. Yeah, yeah. Main stage. Uh, any lessons learned or any feedback from that, or or you know, to do it again, how you would refine it, or or what surprises you might have had in the service you know we'd have to we're gonna get together probably after this because we're doing it this weekend too so we have two weekends we did it for and uh we're just gonna come together but to be honest when we do events like this we've been doing these for about uh 14 years now and we've done some big events where we had to cook for a lot of people and uh we've got our own systems down so when we are asked to do this we feel confident when we go in we just know we need to have the team members and the right equipment and even though we're cooking outside it's no problem for us, it's kind of like high volume is like it's like what we normally do. Right. Uh, one of the other big innovations that have come along this week is the introduction of your veggie burger. Yes. Why did it take so long? <laughs> <laughs> was it the same hard sell as the the ham burger, <laughs> or was it just something that because you knew you had to come, you know, White Castle just did yep. the Crunch with Impossible Burger. Yeah. What What was the thinking and and what went into it and you know what is the ongoing refinement process for that? It's really interesting. Like we we when we opened in two thousand four, we had our shroom burger, which has always been our vegetarian option, and that one is on one side of like the spectrum of what you could do with vegetable sandwiches. That is the more fun, more decadent, more rich. That's what we wanted to do, because when we opened back in the day, we thought, well, we have hot dogs, we have burgers, we know we're going to be meat-centric, but we want to build a place that's all about the community. So if, if you're coming to this park with your friends and you're the vegetarian, you're thinking, these guys got nothing for me. I'm waiting in this long line, it's a summertime, my dinner is going to be french fries while these guys are eating burgers. That kind of sucks. So we want to create a menu item that was almost like you are even more psyched when you get your sandwich and your meatier friends are. So we made a mushroom burger stuffed with cheese. It's crispy. When you bite into the cheese, oozes out. This was before my time. And when I joined the company and saw how much work goes into making just one of these, I'm like, the person who created this has to be insane. It's like a three-day process. But you know what? Every Shake Shack in the world has that item because it's the coolest thing, I think. It's just such an unexpected like experience for a vegetarian that we want to bring fun into the experience and not just make it like an afterthought. Moving forward, myself, like I'm a diehard meat eater, but over the years, I've just started getting into vegetables like I never have been. And I think a lot of chefs have just said, you know, we can make a steak taste good pretty easy. That's not hard. It has a lot of fat, add a lot of salt to it, just cook it right. It's going to be good. But what if we can get a cauliflower to taste as good as a steak where you're going to take a bite and your eyes are going to roll in the back of your head? And these days, you see it everywhere. You see it from Los Angeles all the way up to New York City, from upstates to downstates. And it's just a big trend that everyone's getting excited for. And we're like, well, we have one item. Who says it just has to be one offering for vegetarians? Why don't we create something on the other side of the spectrum that's lighter, that has more zip to it, that this is the item if you want to like cut back on the calories – but you don't want to lose the fun that that's what we design this for. And 
this is also an item that if you take away the cheese and we have a different bun, we have a gluten-free bun that's also vegan, this is the first time we have a sandwich for vegans too. So we want to create this item to make vegetarians happy. It's a different item than the shroom burger. But at the same time, now we have a sandwich if you're vegan. And again, that's going back to the thing where if you're coming to the restaurant, you're vegan, all you have, all we have is french fries, not anymore. Now you can sit there with a sandwich in your hand just like all your other friends and be part of that experience. Wow. And was this a hard sell internally or was this an idea that kind of grew within the collective mind or did it have to be pushed through? You know what? We were all on the same page from our CEO down. We all felt that this was the next, the next natural evolution, and especially in this day and age. We feel like the relevance of vegetarian forward thinking is everywhere. You have concepts that's all they serve as vegetables and they do it so well that we're like, we want to have fun with this too. And again, to create something like this, like our vision was we wanted to do something that fit into the what you expect if you walk into Shake Shack. Our buns are iconic for us. The way we build our burgers have a certain look. We wanted to kind of fit your expectations, but do something more vegetable forward. So we created a patty out of uh, brown rice, black beans, beets, or some jalapeno, and they're touch of date to kind of round out the sweetness. And then the fun element is we put a slice of provolone cheese, which is super gooey. So when you bite into it, you get that kind of cheese pull, and it's just so creamy and rich. Then the, the sauce on there is kind of hearkening back to like classic burger Americana culture. It's yellow mustard mayo, but it's a vegan mayo. So again, like you just take off the cheese, put it on a different bun. We got you. It tastes really good. And then we piled on lettuce, tomato, pickles, and onions. Because again, super classic burger Americana. And that's what we are. And maybe down the road, there's something else in that, that part of our menu. Because again, that is something that everyone gets excited about. And we love our burgers and we think we do them well. There's so much other stuff out there that can fit into a roadside burger stand. One of the other things that I think has been amazing over the years, the collaborations that you've done. Um, you have uh, Den from Japan. You have yep. St. John's from London. Um, you have John Vinny's from, from out in L.A. <laughs> uh, how do these collaborations come together, and, and who's in the driver's seat, or how, how much do you have to go, that's a great concept, and then we'll bring it home <laughs> to, to make sure we can execute it? You know, it's been something that we have been incredibly humbled in honor with all the chefs we got to work with over the years. And at the end of the day, why we do that is because we're born out of fine dining. And we do simple food. And what we find is a lot of those chefs really respect what we do, too, because it's almost like I heard a lot of chefs say, at the end of my, at the end of my shift of cooking, like three-star Michelin food that's very precious, I just want to eat sushi. I don't want to think about it. Just something simple. And a burger, too, or pizza. And, hey, we love that stuff, too, and we admire what they do. So something we thought would be fun when we had our 10-year anniversary a few years back was let's work with a lot of the chefs that we admire that also help create the burger culture we know today. We work with Daniel Ballou. We work with David Chang. Uh, Andrew Zimmer's always been a, been a big fan. We work with him. Daniel Hume, the chef of 11 Madison Park. Now, we were born out of 11 Madison Park. Back in the day when we were building the first Shake Shack in Madison Square Park, 11 Madison Park, we used to own that restaurant, and we had a kitchen, a private dining room kitchen that they weren't using. That's where we were grinding the burgers. That's where we were making our shack sauce every day, and then we would put it in a car and wheel across the street to the park. So on the actual anniversary day, we asked Daniel Hume, which we thought was fitting to create a burger, and his burger, all these burgers were, were one day each, one different burger for every day of the week, and there was a 1,000 of them. They sold out in three or four hours every day, and $2, the proceeds went to charity, all the same price. Daniel Hume's burger, covered in black truffle. And I'll never forget being in the kitchen living in Madison Park with our CEO, Randy, and Daniel makes it, he goes, what do you guys think? And I look at Randy, I'm like, the food cost on this, man, we are going to lose our shirts. And Randy's like, ah, he's like, you know what? 
He only turned 10 once. He goes, let's do it. And I'm like, that's why I love this company. That's why I love that guy. Because he gets it. It's, it's not about making money on a day like that. It's about hooking up the fans. If you're going to wait in line, and some of those lines are up to six hours, we want to make you psyched that you took that time out to come and celebrate with us. And then for us, like, it's something that we do ongoing. And uh, it usually starts with myself or Randy saying, you know, we love this guy. He's a friend of ours. We like to work with friends. John and Vinny, you just mentioned, for instance, those are guys I've met so many times at food and wine events all around the country. And this is way before we opened in L.A. And I always said in the back of my mind, the day we go out to L.A., the day we go out to L.A., we announce it, these are the first guys I'm calling. And they were so kind. Before we opened up, they let us take over one of their restaurants, Son of a Gun. Before we opened, just say, hey, L.A., we're super pumped to be here. If you guys want to get the first taste, come on down. And then we were so thankful that they were so on our side that we brought them to New York City to take over Madison Park. And when you reach out to them, do you come with parameters now, or is it just still a free-for-all, and then you just go, okay, yeah, this is totally great, and then <laughs> you have yourself go, okay, now we need to make this so we can like execute <laughs> 2,000 of these, or, or how does the collaboration process work? You know, it's fun, because a lot, I have to say, again, like, knock on wood, a lot of the chefs we've worked with, and they've been all over, um, different countries, different ways of cooking, um, I think the one thing that most of them have had in common so far is they come in and say, just, I remember when we did our burger with David Chang, his first thing was, what can I do to help you guys out? He goes, I could develop whatever I want, but that might not work within your system. How can I set you guys up for success Interesting. and still be my own my own style? And we've had a lot of chefs say that. John Vinny said that. Um, Massimo Batora said that to us. He goes, I want to create simplicity. He goes, tell me like what your parameters are and I'll work within them. Some chefs dream big. And I think the biggest one was, uh, you mentioned earlier, was Fergus Henderson of St. John. And he was thinking long and hard about what a St. John burger would be, what it would be. And he decided he wanted to do an eel burger. Smoked eel, turned into a patty, griddled with... Uh, hero. Yes, hero. And he <laughs> says, the reason why, he goes, when you look at all the burgers that you've done collaborations with, and you had names at the bottom, you had to match them up, you'd say, well, of course St. John would do the smoked eel burger. And I'm like, I totally love that, Fergus. So sometimes I let the chefs dream, too, because I want them to feel excited about the process. The most exciting ones that come to mind were the ones where the chef has had an idea and I had an idea and we meet in the middle. Uh, David Chang was very much like that. He had one vision and what actually came out of like the talking through the ideas, he wanted to do a shrimp burger and it wound up being our Shake Shack burger topped with a smoked shrimp patty to create the smoke and the umaminess that you get with bacon without using bacon. Zayu Hasegawa of the two-star Michelin restaurant Den in Tokyo, he is such a big Shake Shack fan that he gets what we're about. When he came in, he goes, I want to I want to take your burgers and my muse. I want your shack sauce, because I think it's the most delicious sauce ever put on a burger. He goes, I want to infuse my flavor. I have this house-made red miso paste. I want to put that in there. And then I want to add some pickled Sancho pepper. And then that's my vision. And he goes, to tie it all together, let's throw some pickles on there, but Japanese style. Let's create a different flavor profile. So at the end of the day, we're serving a, a bacon burger with pickles and sauce. But two of those elements were super Japanese, and the rest was super Americana, and that's still probably one of my favorites because you bite into it, you take the taste of Japan and the taste of America together, that's very hard to do, but that comes out of when people really respect and like what we do, and they know our flavor profiles, and they can then coax in what they do into it. And I have to say almost all the chefs we work with, it's been exactly like that. Well, Mark, I want to thank you 
for coming in. Where can people find Shake Shack? Where can they find uh, one near them? How can they make sure they're not waiting in epic lines? <laughs> I would say the best thing to do, go to our website, uh, shakeshack.com, and you can find all of our locations there. We're in so many cities and different countries now, and they're all different. So I hope you come and check out a few of them because we like to make them very special for each neighborhood. Amazing. Well, if you want to hear more from some of their collaborators like John and Vinny, head into the Snacky Tunes archives. You can hear Darren talk to them. First interview we ever did in a car. Very interesting. <laughs> We're going to take a quick musical break, play another song from our, our archives, and then we'll have the Unders live in studio here on Snacky Tunes. Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? 
Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Hello, and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Unders. What's up? Welcome. How are you? We're pretty good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's good to have you here. First spring. Yeah. First spring afternoon, eating pizza, looking at people. I feel like people have gone nuts already and like have forgotten how to dress themselves. Yeah. They've just like shedded everything. They feel like they've burned all their winter clothing. I, I noticed some people that are like walking around with jackets on, like they're not fully ready to commit to the... But with cut off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, psych- I mean, this winter has waged such psychological <laughs> yeah. warfare. They're like, they're like, no, 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 you understand. Tonight is gonna dr- it's going to drop to... To two, yeah. <laughs> they're like, and, we, and I'll be prepared. You've gotten me one yeah. too many times. People are just not—they're not gonna get burned again. You know? No, <laughs> like fool me nine times, shame on New York. Fool me ten, I'm going to LA. Yeah. Um, do you want to go around and choose yourselves? Sure. I'm Joey. Hi, Joey. Hi. You play bass. I do play bass. Okay. I'm Michael. I play guitar. I'm Tyler. I play drums. Uh, so. <laughs> We have been making a nice run of King Pizza bands, and I'm curious how you got brought into the King Pizza universe, which seems to be ever expanding. Um, I can. Uh, so me and Joey had the start of the band, not on King Pizza, and uh, went to shows, and we saw Tyler's in another band actually called Vominos. That's a two-piece that is really awesome, and we saw those guys, kind of became friends with them, and then things kind of worked out to where Tyler joined the band, and we kind of released our first uh, LP on. Pizza. So, and when you started, you didn't have a drummer. Uh, we did. Joey played drums, drums and bass, or just drums. No, just okay. <laughs> we had no bass player. No bass player. Two guitars, no bass, and now we have, we have a, a better lineup. I feel like. What was the uh, creative decision to have no bass? Did you feel you didn't need it, or the, the kick drum, uh, or just no? Just we just we couldn't find it. We yeah. just couldn't <laughs> find the right person. I feel like every city has different needs, and it's like mm-hmm. bass players and drum players in New York, obviously because of space for New uh-huh. York. But just like a bass player is ever wandering. Yeah, I feel like every band, uh, like I don't know, like big band that I hear of, is always like the bass player was not originally a bass player, and they had to like talk somebody into playing. You you just end up playing. What um, sweet nothings do they have to whisper to you to to (laughs) take on the bass? I love. I mean, most bands. I mean, I've I've been playing in bands in New York for like maybe ten years now, and I always just ended up playing bass. At first, I was a guitar player. And I always wanted to play guitar, but I just found like it's easiest to get into maybe like a semi-successful band and just slip in with the bass. <laughs> and I, don't know, I, just, I just enjoyed writing music on bass, and now it's like my main instrument. You're like, did I say guitar? I meant bass. <laughs> and, then, and for our culinary <laughs> listeners who might not know how um, easy or hard it is to switch from guitar to bass, what is the difference, if any? Uh, the way I approach it, I kind of look at it the same way. It's just no distortion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's the top four strings. And I, I like to play very melodically. And yeah. And what do you think people's uh, hesitation is to you know, be a bass player? Or why do you think it's so hard to find a good bass player? I don't think it's hard to find a good bass, uh, bass player. Uh, it takes a, I feel like it takes a certain personality because you're kind of like in the background a little bit more than like a guitar player or like a lead guitar player for sure. <laughs> like, so do you think it's like an ego? Like you have to be I, like very confident to be a bass player because you're just going to, you're the, you're the bottom. Yeah. But then you're you have like, like Thin Lizzy who, the, you know, he, the lead guy, the main singer was a bass player. So I don't know. Like, it, it, but I just feel like most, most rock Sting band, also. Yeah, sting. My, my idol. <laughs> Thin Lizzy, Sting, <laughs> The Unders. <laughs> in that order. In that order. Like, <laughs> in that order. Well, we don't know. Let's hear a song and see if we can reorder. Right, it. Yeah. 
What are you going to play for us first? This song's called Questions. It's off our, uh, our EP that we put out um, on King Pizza also called Sightgeist. This is the second track on that record. So, yeah. Questions. Here we go. All right. One, two, three, four. Talk about new lineup and a new sound. How has the sound evolved and where is it going and how are you developing it? It's hmm. a good question. Uh, <laughs> I would say this song, the sounds started out as being more kind of like that song. <laughs> yeah. Even though that song is on our new EP, but um, we've just because we've lost the lead guitar player, we've sort of taken on more of a rhythmic, uh, sort of like a kraut rocky, angular, angular sort of sure. vibe. Sure. Um, there's not a lot of solos anymore, which is I think is cool. Um, Except for a ripping bass solo, yeah, yeah like a, fi- yeah, a tight yeah. five minute bass solo. I mean, it's when, when you're in this when you're in the practice space, like doing that kind of stuff. You have to find things that fill the empty space that's left, the, you know, from the, the guitar guy. So, yeah, I think that 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 and then like just kind of the songs are becoming longer. I feel like, um, but also even shorter. Yeah, and, and some, some shorter. Some, <laughs> some like, are longer, either, some are shorter. Five and a half minutes or <laughs> yeah. 45 seconds. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the new direction. Yeah. And, and what do you think losing guitar player, uh, why do you think it's affected the song length? I mean, just because you like, it's, it's, it's so formulaic where you're like, okay, uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, lead, and then chorus. And it's like, now we just kind of can think of songs in a more deconstructed way. Does that make, that make sense? So, I mean, although it's uh, somewhat of a creative constraint, it allows you to. Yeah. Write different types of songs. Yeah, I think so. And then get more into like ha- finding a, a good groove. Like a lot of the songs that we've written recently is kind of just Joey like is playing like a bass groove, and we're like, that's cool. And then we just kind of like take it's that, just, yeah, it's and like us. write it very quickly. Whereas like before, I was like writing the songs and then 
the band was playing the song. You know, this is more like a group effort and the, the new stuff. Have you brought a new musical influences? Have you brought in other bands? Like, you know, we used to think about these were our music influences and now we have these as, as new kind of iconic heroes. Yeah. I don't know. Joey, Joey I has... Mean, no, I mean, you and I definitely, we, we, we've been listening to a lot of, uh, like, Noi and... Yeah. That's kind of like... We like the germ, the Krautrock German sort of stuff and then, like, I don't know, just... A little more, sp- a little more spacey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What has been the thing that has carried through, though, that has continued to make the unders the unders, where you haven't gone so far away from the beginning that even though it's a new sound and new influences and a new setup, they're like, this is still us from the formation till... I, I would say day. that there's, like we were saying earlier, like there's, there's a, the longer songs, but then we can always, like, we always are writing, like, a, <laughs> a fast sort of punk song that we're always like, that. yeah, let's use, let's use that. I think that's, like, kind of... That will always happen, I feel like. A classic uh, unders. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I, I was going to say so. it was uh, the thing that uh, is constant is his Michael's beautiful voice. Yeah, That's I don't really know. Funny. I mean, maybe. Tyler has a pretty good voice, but we never give him a chance to... Well, I mean... <laughs> he's, he's, well, he's barely next to this microphone, that, too. <laughs> the LP is not written yet. Final track, yeah, drummer something. solo, and a song. Oh, yeah. It's coming. Oh, yeah. Can we hear another song? Sure, and, th- and this one kind of speaks to the newer sound. This is a new one called He Combs His Hair and Brushes His Teeth. <laughs> <laughs>
We have Pizza Fest coming up this summer. For the uninitiated, what can people expect? Tyler, you want to take that one? <laughs> uh, a lot of pizza, the a lot microphone. of booze, a lot of bands from around the country. Uh, Let's talk about the pizza. Who's making it? Where is it coming from? Do we have multiple vendors? Uh, I'm actually not sure. This year, uh, Vinny's Pizzeria, which I actually delivered pizzas for, has done it in the past few years. Uh, we're still working on it, but... Vinny's Pizzeria's gluten-free pizza might be one of the finest pizzas in the city. It's pretty good. I feel like that is an unsung hero of pizzas. I mean, I, I, I know all the other things. I, the buffalo chicken is favorite, but I really feel that gluten-free actually opened my eyes up to gluten-free pizzas. It's, it's pretty good. It's almost like a quesadilla or something. Yeah, <laughs> or like a, just like a thin, like a really good thin crust pizza, and you don't feel awful at the end. Right. <laughs> and I, I, you, everyone's like, we'll just get one each. Yeah. We'll get one So Vinny's Pizza, where is it? Where? Well, I'm not sure if they're doing it this year yet, oh, Okay. it's still in the works. Negotiations but, but are still in the works. It has happened in the past, so. And where is uh, Pizza Fest? Uh, they're all at the gutter this year. Amazing. Um, yeah. The shows yeah. at the gutters are amazing. Yeah. yeah. in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. been there for a while, and um, the show's gotten a lot better in the past few years. Yeah. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to the sound guy. Yeah. Johnny Molina, he's our friend, and he makes us always sound great. So, hopefully. well, because you know, when they built that place, I don't think they're like, well, we're going to put no. a stage over the lanes and we're going to soundproof this yeah. this room, and then, yeah. uh, well, why don't we just open up a place in the back and then we'll just do it in there? Yeah, I feel like people still don't know about it all the time. I'm always like loading in my gear, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "They're playing a show in the back." Like, they're yeah, like, oh, just go past all the bathrooms. Yeah, yeah, go back, yeah. pass the bathrooms yeah. where you think that you can't go, yeah. and then keep going, keep going yeah. and we'll be there. Yeah. Pay ten dollars. Uh, pay ten <laughs> And you guys are going back to the studio this summer. Yeah, uh, hopefully soon in the next month or two. With all this new stuff, we have like I don't know, like sixteen songs that we need to like get down before we lose our minds. So yeah. And will there be a different approach um, as the su- sound has changed into recording it, or will you evolve that as well? I mean, well, we're gonna change. Uh, we, the first two uh, records we did were at. Uh, Rose Studios, but we're looking to like change studios just for like a bigger a room and more kind of dialed into what we need. Um, but yeah, that's the only real difference. And then like obviously our, our sort of like sound has changed. We're a three piece now. We everything else is recorded four piece. So. Definitely want to get like some more like natural space. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like a big room and and rock it out. What do you mean by natural space? Just uh, you know, like uh, in recording studios, you have like the big open live rooms hopefully get into a room that where we could just spread out yeah (laughs) (laughs) also just you know have a bunch of excessive microphones on the drums just to make it bigger just Mm -hmm. to fill in the gaps of what you know what's an ideal number of microphones on the drums i've been on recording sessions where there's 22 microphones you want that many (laughs) (laughs) 20 Wait, 20, there, yeah. t- only two even, were excessive. Even twenty, <laughs> and, and even and even twenty. <laughs> you don't have to play them. Yeah. <laughs> I just sing into all of them. Yeah, that, that's. Then we can finally get Tyler on the singing. It's gonna happen. Yeah. You heard it here first. You've committed. Uh, yeah. I can't wait. That's gonna be my favorite song on the record. I already know it. <laughs> One voice, twenty microphones. Oh, like the, <laughs> twenty-two microphones. I do like the last song on the record, like an acoustic uh, in, ending song. It's gonna be very Could operatic. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's already. It's, I can already see it being played out. Yeah, well, cool. we, we want to make sure we have time for one more song, but where can people find you, find tour dates, get uh, information uh, as the new records? The-unders.bandcamp.com. All the music's there. And uh, just check out King Pizza Records in general. King Pizza Brooklyn, I think, usually comes up with some 
King Pizza Records, Brooklyn and Google I usually think you, work out. <laughs> it just it just comes up. Yeah, so there's only uh, one. There's King a lot Pizza. of there's a lot of good bands and uh, and a lot of good shows in the area. So check it all out. We want to thank Mark from Shake Shack for coming by. Uh, we want to thank all of you for tuning in. What's the name of the last song you're gonna play for us? This song is called Sleep for What. It's a newer song too. So you hear <laughs> heard it here first. Heard it here first. A Snacky Tunes exclusive. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.